This is episode 18 of the Get In My Garden podcast. I am your host, Aaron Moskowitz. Today we meet Bradley Babb. He is a permaculture expert, consultant to natural farmers, and to New Mexican medicinal cannabis growers through his business called Earth Tone Permaculture. He consults with businesses and individuals about water catchment, soil building, and erosion management. He has a vast knowledge of the soil food web, of natural land restoration methods, and of alternative growing methods such as aquaponics and hydro. He teaches people how to maintain balance in their gardens and shares his knowledge and ideas openly with everyone. In this episode, we discuss low-tech ways to renew degraded land and ways to transform unfarmable land into an oasis by working with nature. We discuss how mycelium, bacteria, and enzymes are likely to fix most of our ecological problems, and we talk about low-cost methods of creating compost teas and inoculants that have been used for thousands of years. You're a permaculture expert. Yes, I am. And I've been studying permaculture for the past, I want to say, eight, ten years of my life. But I've really been doing this since I came to know myself. I'm 43 now, so since I was a young teenager, I've always been attracted to farming and growing and stuff like that. And I have a friend that inherited some land. And when we came up to the age where we were adolescents, we were able to farm the property. And that's what set it off for me. I'm originally from Barbados, and then when I moved to the States like 20 years ago, I got introduced into farming in Colorado, both cannabis and just vegetable farming. And when I moved to Santa Fe, two, three years later, after living in Colorado for a year or two, I moved to Taos, and then, sorry, Santa Fe five years later, then I, um, I got exposed to permaculture. And from there, I feel like that's what really fueled my passion that was already there. I finally found the outlet of where to take it. So every aspect of farming, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, whether it's cannabis, food production, medicinal herbs, culinary herbs, I'm always encouraging the people, clients, people I'm working with, practitioners, to always look at the natural system in itself. Man is part of the natural system, but we're the only species in the natural system that creates waste. One of um, the things Bill Mollison would say is that pollution is an unreused resource, mm-hmm. meaning it's been a resource that was used too fast, and then there's nothing that's capturing the waste from that to actually turn it into another resource. I went to permaculture school, and I really always loved growing things. Then got exposed to, to growing cannabis and farming, and from there I just ran with it. I, I really love to encourage people to grow their own, to do research on building soils, because there's a lot of people that they're very intimidated or they feel scared because they don't know and they don't realize it's really simple solutions. Someone says, we're looking for the answer on the moon and it's right at our feet. And I see what happens a lot too with a lot of people in general, they rake away the leaves from their yard, pay for them to be taken away, and then they go and buy the same leaves in a different form in a bag from the store to put back on their property. There needs to be more education about the entire cycle. And one of the things I see in, in urban developments and in urban areas, like take Santa Fe for instance, there's this fear of fruit trees oh. because it attracts wild animals. So there's this intimidation. And then I feel like there's this laziness too around having to clean the fruit up when the tree bears a lot and nobody's there to pick it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I see that as just a lack of education because if people were educated of knowing what to look for, 
what types of fruits to use, I don't think that we would have that issue because we produce food at such an alarming rate. Most of it's polluted. So then most of it's sitting on the shelves and we are afraid of producing fresh food that we could be producing locally and empowering ourselves. Like, Anybody practically could be and, doing that in their own yard. Exactly. And Oregon and Northern California is, is setting some examples where they're some of the first cities to do food forestry in an urban area where instead of just planting perennials or, or where you have to take the fruit and it's such a hard process just to get any food out of them, mm-hmm. we need to have living system food forests going on in all urban areas. And I know that that'll take some planning, some organization, but we have money and resources to put into all these other things. And that's where people have to realize like, hey, it's so simple, but we've been so taken away from it, you know. And fear of bugs, which are a huge part of your soil. Exactly. This year on my, my cannabis legal projects that I'm running this year, I told all the people I'm working with, all of our pots, all of our areas where we're growing, we're going to do sprouted seeds and we're going to go through a whole cycle where we're going to have stuff growing, whether it's clover, no more of this just exposed soil and, and nothing growing or just or just compost on top of it mm-hmm. and nothing growing. I really want to incorporate living soil as far as like having worms, bugs, things growing on top, all beneficial. Yeah. You know? So what do people do? I, I know that we have unique soil situation here sometimes you find really good loamy soil that works but nonetheless it's still gonna be dry a lot of the time so how do people find out if they have soil that or how do they know what to do to fix their soil most of the soil here in new mexico is mineral rich right finding a good organic source where they can get some good organic material Mm -hmm. and add to their soil either i see some people will dig it in if it's in an area where you can dig it in and that works i see that's great but also, I would suggest doing sheet mulching, mm-hmm. like where if you know you weren't going to use it for a year or two or even longer, or if it was just sitting there. Like I personally, if I had five acres of land, every fall I would gather as much organic material as I can and layer on that property. And even if I did nothing else and I just layered it for two, three, four, five years, by the time you were ready for it in that five years, mm-hmm. it would be rich in nutrients. So that's one way where it's kind of low-tech, as they say, yeah. where you go and you do it every fall. Because fall has a potential for more water in the winter, mm-hmm. and the water is what helps with the decomposition and fuels the microbes and everything in the soil. So I, I really know that that's one way of approaching it because a lot of people get really overwhelmed. Well, they look in their yard, it's just like a weed patch. It's so dry. <laughs> exactly. The wind just blew everything through. It looks horrible. Exactly. They don't know what to do. Exactly. So, and I have had some customers came in and they asked that question and that's what I told them. I said, listen, you just have to just sheet sheet mulch and layer and research too. Observation is a big one. We are so stuck in our phones and our cars that we don't have time to just look up. And I think that if we could just take a moment to turn everything off or just put everything out of our hands and sit down, we would be able to see the different things that we could do on our Mm -hmm. property or in our community and our neighborhoods, but we're so distracted by this other thing. There definitely needs to be some room for education, and there, not some room, there needs to be a lot of room for education and also hands-on applications where we get this here going for a while, and then when it comes to the part where 
where it comes some spring, someone has a piece of property and we're not having to go and get a bunch of people to make them pay a bunch of money to learn something mm -hmm. because that's a lot of the norms. That's not always encouraging when people don't have anything, you know, so we have to find a way how to incorporate people who are struggling to, they might have the resources, but they don't have the money capital. So I know that that, that is a huge part of then we would get someone who has some property who's willing to volunteer their property and then we go there and do some applications and do a do like a time lapse progression where we do before, a during and an after documentation mm -hmm. of the property. And we would see that it really doesn't take that long of a time to rejuvenate the exactly. property. There's this video on YouTube, Hope in a Changing Climate. They did it five years in China, like the Badlands and all yeah. But so we go take the Badlands and Nambe and we reallocated the water to there mm -hmm. and we re-terrace it and within five years it went from what our Badlands looked like to a total oasis. Wow. In five years. So, so but it, they need organic matter to build the soil. Exactly. And also, but also a big part of what they did, they stopped the animals from grazing on the soil uh -huh. because part of what's happening too is that there's a lot of seeds and a lot of plants in the ground that will help build out organic material, right? but they don't have a chance to come out. Because there's no water or be because there's a lack of water, but the lack of water is due to the fact that they're not being able to grow because when plants grow, they help attract water. Right. Also because of the mismanagement of the grazing practices and the agricultural practices. So either the seeds get blown or because by the time they shoot out, the animals come by and eat them. And it really does start very, very small because as soon as something good happens in the soil, the microbes work right and then the water can actually stay in the soil. You may not even feel it, but water in there because exactly. the way the soil can hold it in a different exactly. way. And, and we would be amazed if we were to tell people and animals, okay, only wild animals could track across the land, mm -hmm. but no domesticated animals and no people. So we corner off a whole area and we do it like that. And I tell you, within three years, the amount of plants that we would see spring up there, we would we would be in awe. So they did it in China. They're doing it in Ethiopia. The Princess of Jordan is doing it. Uh -huh. And they're doing it in a few other places. Five years was the first project in China. And it went from, say, in the Badlands, yeah. to gushing water, to birds, to life. So I know that we have to get an example in order for the people to really get it. Mm -hmm. Because when you tell people these things, they don't realize that just five years it'll take if we do certain practices and organize certain things in the landscape. But you're talking about like what specific land? Land that we've ruined or land that we need to farm because we need the organic food or? or yes, take for instance, just any land in New Mexico. Okay, that, that's it's really not that great. You can't just go plant it up. Exactly. So taking a piece of land that has been degraded mm -hmm. and using it as an example, gotcha. where we rest it for a year or two, while just adding organic material and then after say five years of watching observing and watching the plants that are regenerating that are naturally there trying to look and pay attention to those plants first that way we don't destroy them by coming in and putting in our design mm -hmm. and then carefully after a good five years of letting in all the native plants come back what about people who are in the cities, they have lots of, it seems like good soil, like in California or Seattle or something like that, Oregon. Okay. But it's just for years they've been spraying herbicides and pesticides 
does that bounce back or will it what, what do they do you know it, it's interesting because uh I, I had a friend talk to me about that recently and i think from the research i've done i know that mycelium is a huge part of the healing structure of that mm -hmm. so i think mass inoculations and then planting certain crops like sunflowers for instance help to pull heavy metals out the ground yeah. so i think planting sunflowers in certain areas and then we okay maybe we don't take those sunflowers and compost them but we take them to the biodigester mm -hmm. and we still turn them into fuel mm -hmm. right so and and then someone said to me so then what's what's the byproduct of that then what would happen is that the soil that comes out of the biodigester then then we test that and see what heavy metals is in it and then we'll know what's happening as far as like if the plants mm -hmm. and the land and everything is rejuvenating itself. And as far as that goes, we just don't know. I mean, there's thousands, tens of thousands of types of fungus. Exactly. And we just need to find the right one that exactly. will eat the herbicides, exactly. right? Because, yes. Gunter Pauli is his name. He was one of the guys who started eCover Soap, I think. And I went to the seminar and he said that they found these enzymes. One was from rice hull and one was from algae. And they had this CD and they put it on the table and they took one drop of this thing, and the thing ate the CD. Oh, cool. And it was just enzymes, you know, and someone asked, so what's up with the material that's left over? And he said, actually, it's actually biodegradable because now those enzymes have changed the structure of the CD to where nature can actually digest it. Finding the right types of funguses and bacteria and aminos uh -huh. to digest things that way they can be redigested back into the atmosphere. Most people seem to be really fatalistic about yes. the environment, yeah. but I'm totally optimistic about it. I mean, maybe we're a little bit behind the curve. Maybe we have some problems that are really bad right now, yeah. but we're on the brink of using these things, you know? People are fatalistic because that's how they're trained. I have a Earth Tone Permaculture is the business. Earth Tone. Earth Tone Permaculture, cool. that's the business title because I do consulting for soil erosion, water catchment, erosion management, soil building, all that kind of stuff. And I also want to have it running so that, which I do now, and then be able to switch that into cannabis focus too mm -hmm. as legalization come and provide that service for people. It's true where I come in, educate them and help them to have a successful garden. Yeah, so can you speak to the challenges of somebody who, they go in, they do all the paperwork, work hard to get the card, they know they need it, and then they want to grow themselves, but they don't really know what they're doing. You've probably seen some problems. Yeah, so one of the things that, I don't want to call it a greenhorn mistake, but the two things that I think plague beginner farmers or beginner gardeners is the two extremes. The first thing that we come up against, and I think one of the biggest challenges that they either let the plants dry out and mm -hmm. die, or they don't water them too much and they end up with root rot. So my service is to help educate people about how to approach that. That's where asking questions come in mm -hmm. and to not make assumptions. And that's why I want to provide that service. If they wait too long, it's pretty it's pretty hard to recover, right? Exactly. I've had a few projects. I had two, three successful ones last year. And then I had one this year where every time I went to the, the client's house, mm -hmm. the plants were wet. So, and I kept telling the client, please let the plants dry out. Please let the plants dry out. And he was like, oh yeah, they're drying out. Oh yeah, they're drying out. They don't realize that there's already moisture in the soil. Well, eventually he killed the plants. 
and it was so hard for me. I had to walk away. So do you help people with natural setups, in pots, in their yard, with lighting too? I think it all depends where they want to go. But you know all of that. Yeah, whichever direction they want to go, I will go there with them. One of the things that I'm educating myself right now about is aquaponics. Yeah. And I understand how it works. You're using the fish. For me, I wouldn't want to eat the fish personally, but I would be using the fish in motion. Mm -hmm. And my one of my dream designs is a teardrop recycled closed loop water yeah. system to a fish pond with a filtered drain in the bottom of the pond. That way when I'm ready, I could pull my fish in motion off yeah. and water my crops. See, I like, I mean, every time I've seen an aquaponics set up, I've been just blown away. Like, it's so cool yeah. and mind-blowing. But when it comes down to it, like, you can go on YouTube, and there are thousands of people like, oh, shit, everything went wrong all of a sudden, you know? Like, the bacteria changed, and then my yeah. fish died, and then... Yeah. And that's like, why, for me, I would like to have a, a system in a landscape. Yeah. Where it's a pond. Natural. And, right. And there was, there was plants... And, and, you know, I understand, like, for first, it would have to get established and, and trying to get algae to grow and stuff growing on the rocks. That way, everything comes alive. But I also know that if you were able to set up a system like that, it could be a really good example for what people could do. I had this young gentleman came in earlier, and he told me he has agriculture property. So I told him, hey, do you know about salt ponds? And he didn't know what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And I said, I learned this in permaculture school, is that when you have a huge body of water moving across a landscape, it pulls salt up from the from the ground, yeah. and it pulls salt from the atmosphere, right? So right when the water is about to go into the agriculture land, you should have, it's called, it's called a salt pond, and it's basically a big square, and the water comes in and eddies at one side, really? and then it overflows at the other side. And what that does is that it traps all the physical salt that's on the surface of the water in that pond, hmm. and it doesn't put it into the crops. So then, when the water is coming out the agriculture field, you do the same thing. Hmm. You build another salt pond so that you trap the salt so that when you dump it back into the river, it doesn't put a bunch of salt in the river to kill the fish and the plants. Amazing. So, I've never heard about that. So stuff like that is where my brain and my psyche is. That's what I'm trying to concentrate on. And these are the types of things that I'm trying to get people to focus on. The Keep idea of a pond beyond just the aesthetics of it, that is perfect i mean that's a great way to get people going and not have to continually buy poisonous fertilizers you know exactly. open their mind up yeah it's like growing your own fertilizer exactly because imagine and that's why gray water is becoming such a yeah. big deal because look how much water we put out of our house mm -hmm. houses imagine you could put all that water into a huge facility with a giant tear drop system with some big fish man we would have fertilizer and water to water whatever we wanted yeah and even if it were toxic water that we had the right mix of fungal exactly you know inoculants in there because i know gentlemen that are they are landscapers and water catchment people and mm -hmm. they got the licenses and stuff for it but they're going and injecting oxygen into black water which is sewer water and turning it back into gray water okay you know so there is one way where they're like killing the pathogens mm -hmm. but we're so afraid of anything that comes out of us or, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? We're so trained to be so afraid of it that we're like, okay, it's gone. We don't have to think about it when that's actually a source of energy mm -hmm. that we could be using, you know? So we have to really look at the system in a whole encompassing and stop looking at it. I'm man, I'm the most intelligent. I'm the most domineering. I'm just looking down on everything. I think 
if we could really look and try to humble ourselves and be at the opposite end and look up at things, then we would see a little bit more. That's where I try to get people to focus. I always try to give people more. It helps them to see a vision of something that they've been trying to figure out and they couldn't figure out, but then, you know? So you're inspiring people. Yeah. And changing their lives. It, I've seen it myself, just people who, they have no idea with plants. So many people have had bad experiences. Yeah. Just simple bad experiences with like a house plant or something and they say, oh, I'm screwed, I can't grow anything. That is so true. And yeah. it's, it's the same thing with cannabis too. That, that, okay, yeah. that reminds me of people with cannabis Because they have high hopes. Right. Or, or, or they take a little too much and they delve too deep. We have to create support groups for all these different levels. I guess to get back to what you're doing in here. and So people come in, you ins they get really excited about what they're growing. Yeah. And have you found people that they come in for one thing and then all of a sudden now they're growing all sorts of other things? Have you like transformed their lives like that? I have had some feedback already where people came and I talked to them. I gave them a few little tidbits and then they came back and they wanted a lot more of what I was handing. So it is happening where Sometimes people will come for one thing and it's not me trying to be the salesman trying to sell them things, but just talking to them about how I approach it. And I have had quite a few customers that was really inspired and they were like, okay, I'm going to listen to what you said. Mm -hmm. And then months later they came back and they had a big old smile on their face because they realized it wasn't me trying to be the salesman trying to sell them things, but I was just giving them an honest answer on what works in my experience. A lot doesn't work. Do you feel that a lot of people come in, even people who probably read about everything, and they're just not aware of the balance of microbes and fungi? Yes. And that they're just all focused on the minerals and the... Yes, that is true. That is very true. This couple came in, and he, this guy was talking about compost tea and all this stuff, and I said to him, do you know about mycorrhizal? He had the blank stare on his face. He had no clue what I was mm -hmm. talking about. And I said, you know that mycorrhizal is actually a web of life. If there's no mycorrhizal, if there's no fungus, we're all dead. Nothing can live without it. You know, we have it in our body. We have it in our brains. It's everywhere. So there, there definitely needs to be some education and some uptake of that type of stuff. This year, what I'm going to do, last year I did use a little synthetic, not a lot, but this year I have no synthetic anywhere in my armory. And one of my first big waterings is going to be a compost tea watering. Mm -hmm. So if we could just educate people on something as simple as that. And do you know a lot of compost teas are bacteria dominant, right? Yes. But there are ways to get fungal dominant teas. Is there a way to get like a mycorrhizal like tea that would um, spark the mycorrhizal fungi? I think that there's different applications like where a friend of mine told me of this application where you go out in the forest and you don't dig the hillside down, you rake the oak leaves back and then you just take a little bit and he said if you were able to take that and then put that into inoculation mm -hmm. as far as whether you were using it with some water, he said ideally you would put it into some water and mm -hmm. dilute it. That's a way that you can start fungal tea is to get bacteria from the forest. Another way to do it too is to, this was the old school trick when we were kids, you get a bag of cooked rice. Oh yeah. And then you just bury it in the ground and the fungus goes in there and then you take part of that and put in your tea. So in Barbados people do that. Yeah. Amazing. Because yeah. that's, isn't that 
well, I've heard of Korean natural farming. Yeah. There's a few different methods. I guess anywhere in the world, people figured that out. Yeah. I don't know if it's the carbs or is it the, the bran, right? The yes, bran collects exactly. the yep. fungus. Yeah, because I, for me, I, I didn't even realize that. Like, I've made compost teas, but I didn't realize that your compost tea, and I'm just going about compost teas for a sec, just that it needed fish emulsion, kelp, and sugar. Uh-huh. I didn't know that for a while. And we started using those things in our compost teas, and the plants were amazingly different. So one of my grows, I'm going to plant rice seed to keep the dust down and to inject nitrogen in the ground. And I'm just going to cut it back a few times, and then once the plants start flowering, I'll just let it grow out mm -hmm. and let it turn brown, because then I don't need no more nitrogen in the ground. Yeah. Then we'll come in with either a cover crop or a heavy mulch, and then a cover crop at the end. I think that doing the rice is a good way to do it and experimenting with, with a few different grains also. Mm -hmm. Doing some research and seeing what grains work. Because everything don't always work for everyone. And some things work for some people and some things don't work for the same people. So a big part of it is finding out what works for you. It's amazing what plants will do. It's just, I don't think people realize because they think of the plants as just Thank sucking you. up the, well they suck up the nutrients they want, right? Yeah. But they're actually never sucking up the nutrients. They're just building the relationship with the microbes. Exactly. And then they actually put out a different signal yep. to the attract the different microbes for the different uh, period of their growing that so they the need. So the plants can uptake different things at different points. It's true. It's never just you, the plant, they're just because so, there's people who pour tons of nutrients on their plants and they still don't get no better results than people who just use a little bit of cow manure sometimes and that's it. Because I know farmers who just use nothing, just cow manure, sheep manure just manure from animals mm -hmm. in regular soil, and they get giant plants. Uh -huh. And I know people who are spending thousands of dollars and they get they get big plants too, but you know, it's that same thing. I had a friend that he wanted me to send him some bud booster from the Caribbean. He knew where the backwano was, he knew where the oyster <laughs> shell was, and he knew where the, um, the azomite was, which was the, the soil yeah. from, from the volcano. volcano. Yeah. And I told him, hey, you have your bud booster right now. So back to that same thing, education. Mm -hmm. Education is a huge deal. Like all these sweeteners, because I think it's funny, and not funny, that these resources come from places where people don't have the education about the resources. It's also kind of an ironic thing that we have a store like this that has, you know, thousands of products, right? Yeah. You're a permaculture expert. Exactly. Anybody can like figure it out in their own backyard, Yeah. yet they're so used to the grocery store experience. Mm -hmm. Here so they we gotta come. go get the grocery store for it now. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Like I talked to a bunch of farmers and I said, this year I'm watering with water and they all laughed at me. And I said, listen, <laughs> when I went to Northern California and Oregon and I worked and I saw plantations, not no low grow, plantations. It was all being watered with just water. Nobody was out there putting no liquid nutrients on these plants. Living water, like from a river, or it was lake. It was it was water that had run off the landscape. Okay. These ponds, but the thing so about it's probably it, full of microbes. Right, and the other thing about it is that the people had built their soils. They uh -huh. had put everything they needed in the soil, mm -hmm. and they trusted what they were putting in their soils from their building of the years of compost and gathering that it was working. And I have to say that when these plants were done and we were finished harvesting, they still had more on them than like 20 people you know their plants. But we were done, mm -hmm. you know? 
So they were trees. Yeah. Like where we had to get a giant, one of those giant landscape ladders to get up on the top. Dang. You know, and they were just in three by three boxes. Yeah. Giant. You can create all these same things from your backyard. So then what I think will open up is is an area of where you can get more things tested, whether it's soil, whether it's your micros, whether it's your, your food, there'll be that whole market of, hey, we just made these batches of soil, let's take it to so-and-so and get it tested. Great so, point. So research is a big one, people education, and then also, like I myself collaborating with other people who are on the education front, who, who aren't afraid of sharing their information, because a lot of people don't want to share their information. Why not? Because, Greed. Oh. Greed is the thing that, if you want to say, got the world by its balls, if you mm -hmm. want to put it like that, you know? I mean, knowledge is power. And it's not power if it's stuck all in my head. Yeah, a lot of people, they think they're going to hoard their idea, right? But then they don't even do anything. What's that doing? That's not doing anything when you just got all the information given in your head. Let me just keep it here. It's not doing anything. For me, it's it's more it's better for me to share it with my friends, share it with my family, share it with a total stranger. I see somebody struggling with something, but but hydroponics. So aquaponics is like lots of bells and whistles, and yeah. when it's not done outdoors, it seems like a lot can go wrong. Yes. And I've got a guy who's going to talk to me about aquaponics later, but uh, hydro hydroponics is is actually an ancient. It's either Greek or Roman word. Oh. And it was um, ancient Greeks and Romans had hydroponics. They were some of the first people to have hydroponics. And hydroponics means to grow with water. Mm -hmm. Where this, the water is replacing your soil medium or your perlite or your growstone medium, the water is replacing the medium as, as far as the deliverance to take the nutrients to the plants. I was a grower of hydroponics. I'm more back to building soils because of permaculture. But I also know that there is some big hydroponic installations in different parts of the world. And what's interesting, actually, in the desert, and they're having phenomenal results. What's hard for me about hydroponics is that a lot of it is synthetic. Okay. And that part is hard for me. And so basically, that does kind of go against permaculture. Exactly. Where you're building something that sustains itself. Exactly. Because if we could figure out a way, and I'm, I'm sure people are doing it, because if I could think about it, I'm sure people are doing it. If we could figure out a way to use compost teas and build a natural living system and then run it through a hydroponic system when the system was already alive, then I know that we can have some phenomenal results. Mm -hmm. At the same time, when hydroponics, like aquaponics, is applied in a greenhouse and areas like that, we have to make sure that it's covered and it's cool because when the water reaches above a certain temperature, the roots start to die. Right. You know, and, and I'm not writing off hydroponics because I think it's a really versatile thing. In my experience, what I loved about it is that I could leave home for two or three days at a time and I could send a friend over just to visually check and make sure everything was good and the plants were being watered. Whereas with soil plants, if you don't have them on a timer, someone has to be there a little bit more. One of the differences I notice about hydroponics versus soil is that the soil flower has a lot more flavor than the hydroponic flower. With the hydroponic flower, you have to do a lot more injections of microbes and fungus and stuff like that. Because the roots really can't communicate anything. It, They're it, just exactly. giving it whatever you want. Exactly. And, the, and the, the microbes don't, they don't live that long in the water because they're dealing with a bunch of other pathogens and stuff coming off the roots. 
Hmm. Also, and like, so that's breeding algae. Even if we can't see it, it's there starting to build. So that's one of the things that's, that's hard about hydroponics for me. But I also would be interested in doing it in a... Improving it. Yes, in because there's a gentleman in Florida where he's doing commercial and he's saying that it's organic. So he probably has some formula figured out where he's growing food organically in greenhouses and very successful at it. And he's doing it in Florida. So I know that it can be done, but I'm just on a mission to permaculture and rehabilitate yeah. the land. Makes sense. So that so that's where I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just on that mission. I think that if people are doing hydro and it works for them, find the best ways to reduce the salts and to reduce the chemicals to bring it to a more natural thing. I wonder if hydro, I mean, so you said it's ancient and they probably have their reasons for doing it, but people who come in here, they're doing it because it's cool. I mean... Yeah. It's cooler sounding. Aquaponics is really cool sounding. Yeah. Because a lot of it is hype. It's true. Yeah. A lot of it is hype. And that's why sometimes I tune out the noise from like Instagram and certain things. And then you've got all these people marketing products for it. Exactly. Uh, uh, all the noise about like about, about cannabis. Because if you don't tune, you'll get overwhelmed. And I think that that's what happens to people. Mm-hmm. People get online and they're like, oh, let me go. And before they know it, they're just <laughs> overwhelmed because they took too much information in. Instead of just taking a small step and leaving it. So that's part of it too. I know that people have to, to gather for themselves. of Just knowing when to stop the button and realize, okay, that was a bit of information I don't need to take anymore in because they're going to end up overwhelmed and discouraged like we were saying yeah. earlier. Yeah, and that's the message of permaculture. Yeah. Keep it really simple. Yeah, si- simple. simplicity is the key to wisdom, you know? Like I said, once again, we're looking for the answer at the moon and it's right there at our feet. That's awesome. I think that's a great place to end. Right on. Thank you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Subscribe to the Get In My Garden podcast on iTunes and leave positive reviews if you like the show. Share with your friends and on social media, and please reach out to me directly with comments, ideas, and questions. My contact info is anchored at the top of the website, getinmygarden.com. You can reach Bradley directly at Earth Tone Permaculture in Santa Fe at 505 699 8514.